Before we get started, we have two brand new positions at StoryBrand. One is a customer service position, and the other is a sales position. If you have experience in customer service or experience in sales, especially sales of intellectual property, consulting, teaching, workshops, those kinds of things, go to storybrand.com jobs. That's storybrand.com jobs. Apply today. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., before we started recording, we were talking about the most productive groups we've ever seen. Yeah. Organizations, people who just get things done. Yeah. And I started to tell you about a Seahawks practice yeah. I just went to. And then I said, shut up, tell our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we got invited yeah. because we know a young man named Ben Malcolmson, who's Pete Carroll's personal assistant. Yeah. We got invited to go to the Seahawks walkthrough the day before they played the Titans here in Nashville. The next day, I showed up with my Seahawks jersey in a Titans stadium. Yeah. <laughs> and the Titans, very tough team. Well, Marcus Mariota's hurt. But yeah. with Mariota, they're extremely hard to beat, and they beat my Seahawks. Nevertheless, yeah. the day before, I go to this practice, and I'm excited. You get to see Russell Wilson. You, they yeah. run through every play that they're going to run through the next day in the game in 45 minutes. I mean, Crazy. they just literally play after play, play after, play. after play. Yeah, yep. the Hail Marys, the onside kicks, every potential play that they're going to run in this game, they do it all in 45 minutes. They're not wearing pads. So they, you know, they, they don't no hit tackling. each other. Yeah. yeah, they run lightly because it's still an active recovery day for them. You know, they've just traveled, got in at midnight, night before. Anyway, what I was amazed at, though, I went because I was excited to see Coach Carroll, excited to watch Russell Wilson throw the ball. Only like 15 people on the sidelines in this indoor facility in Nashville. But here's what amazed me. Coach Carroll could walk onto the field, clap his hands a certain way, and you had however many guys, 80 guys, shifting and then they would run that play, he'd do it again, and they would shift, and the right people in the right place at the right time over and over for 45 minutes in an yeah. unbelievably complicated dance of getting everything. And Tim was there, our COO, who's yeah. in charge of operations at StoryBrand. And I turned to him, I said, man, is this like motivating to you that <laughs> this, this complicated of an organism could be broken down? And Tim was like, I'm fascinated by the logistics of One it all. One clap. One clap. <laughs> we just see Tim go, yeah. we go emails <laughs> are going out. We're selling more books. Yeah, all that stuff. That's what we're heading toward. Yeah. Anyway, it was amazing. And those things don't happen by accident. No. There are systems in place that people learn so they can say Omaha and people do certain things (laughs) when they hear Omaha. And I actually remember running into, well, it was a guy who played for Nebraska sitting next to him in an airport and he won two national championships under Tom Osborne. Yeah. And I said to him, looking back, such a stupid question, but I said, what's the most inspirational thing Tom Osborne ever ever said to you guys in a locker room? You know, I'm thinking this is a blog entry. I met a guy in the airport (laughs) who won two national championships. And he goes, Tom Osborne has never said anything inspirational. That's literally what was his answer. I said, well, how'd you guys win back-to-back national championships? This was back a long time ago when Nebraska yeah. was really good. He said, man, we just ran drill after drill after drill so that when game time came, you just were a machine. You didn't think about it. You just yeah. did what you had done a thousand times. Yeah. And I thought, there's a blog entry, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a paradigm shift. Because <laughs> people want that. They think, oh, it's all about emotion and inspiration. Right. And in reality, a lot of success is based in repetition and preparedness. Right. Yeah. Like getting and prepared. Framing. Yeah. And by framing, I mean 
we have to tell our people what's important, what to think about. You know, habits are formed when there's a cue, and then there's a behavior, and then there's a reward. Yeah. As leaders, we haven't said, here's the cue, Monday morning meeting, here's the expected behavior, not sit around and talk and jabber, yeah. and here's the reward, you know, people are praised for their productivity or what they get done. Those sorts of habits affect the way we operate. And I remember StoryBrand had grown. We were in our, really in our second year of StoryBrand, but almost our fourth year as a company because StoryBrand came out of another company and we've shifted and pivoted to StoryBrand and we've been focused on it ever since. But we were growing fast. Yeah, We brought on a bunch of new people and it wasn't that there was chaos. I mean, growth presents chaos. Yeah. But there was just a sense of disorganization and I wasn't sure what to do about it. And I picked up this book, Four Disciplines of Execution in an Airport. Honestly, I was drawn to the name Covey, right? <laughs> so it's co-written with Sean Covey. And the gentleman we're going to talk to is named Chris McChesney. He's the main author of the book. But he talks about how to get everybody on the same page, running in the same direction as a well-oiled machine. You guys had me read this before I even came on staff. Yeah. It was the it, very first book that you gave. That's, that's right. How, and now that's you're rereading how, it because yep. you're moving to chief of staff. So yeah. what I didn't realize when I picked up the book is that these systems even exist. I mean, of course, you have Six Sigma and lean manufacturing and yeah, yeah. those kinds of things. But how do you actually organize a system so that people know what they're supposed to do every day when you're caught up in what they call the whirlwind? There's just so much going on that I don't know what I'm supposed to focus on. And I am not a micromanager. I'm a 50,000-foot guy. I'm a visionary. I'm passionate. I'm driven. But I'm not going to sit there with you and try to figure out the details of your job, which is a problem. <laughs> it's a problem for people who need to know what they're supposed yeah. to do. And so this system offered me help, and we have exploded in terms of growth. And so if you find yourself in a place where your company isn't organized, people don't know what they're supposed to do, week after week they're not sure there's not a scoreboard that shows them their performance that they can look at, and you're not sitting down or somebody on your team is not sitting down with them and reminding them and keeping them encouraged and accountable to do these things. One, you're way less productive as a company, and two, your people are probably miserable Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because nobody likes ambiguity in their job. Yeah, because every day you can get caught up in the day-to-day -day and just the tasks without realizing what's the important thing that we're all moving towards together at the high level that keeps the company moving right. forward, not right. just existing, but actually continuing to grow and gives you a focus, and I love it. All right. Well, in this interview, we actually asked Chris, how does the four disciplines of execution work? We've been running this program for two years at StoryBrand. And what I love about this, you know, it's probably not very cheap to bring him in for some counseling on how to improve your system. Yeah. We got it for free. <laughs> yes. The whole thing is a giant bait and switch. <laughs> yeah. giant con game. Yeah. 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 Like, I got, just got free. You know? <laughs> and now we get to give it to our audience. It's like, we would like a couple follow-up podcast interviews, yeah. please, with our whole team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can, we're more than willing to fly to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's fantastic. He picks apart the way we're doing things, helps us tremendously. Tremendously, and we're looking forward to executing what he has told us to do. But this is my interview with Chris McChesney, author of the number one best-selling book, Four Disciplines of Execution. Chris, thanks for joining us. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Don. I would imagine you've seen a lot of transformation in a lot of companies because the big thing that is so hard to do is actually executing. We've all got ideas. We've all got the ship moving forward. But if you don't have a plan to execute stuff, you're working with half a carburetor trying to get this thing going. And you're the guy who gets to go in and say, 
here's the plan that we're going to run in order to get everybody on the same page, moving in the same direction, getting things done. And you must see massive transformation in short periods of time with the companies that you work with. Is that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when it works, you absolutely do. But like anything else, you know, nothing's free in this world. And there's a price to pay. It's no different than someone going to a gym and getting a personal trainer and saying, all right, I'm willing to count calories. I'm willing to let it hurt a little bit. You know, there's no magic pills in this world. Are there things that keep people from running this program? Is there an attitude that you find and you see early on, okay, these guys aren't going to buy in fully because there's some arrogance or there's a lack of discipline or there's just not an interest in actually running a system? What is it that keeps people from running this and running it well? Before we even get into what 40X actually is. You know, my CEO was asking me to identify what were our best segments for this particular methodology. Right. And I wasn't giving him what he was wanting. I mean, he wanted to know industry segments and particular solutions and goals and objectives that, you know, we could market against. And the answer was really more of a personality type. And there seems to be this combination of leaders who are both, sort of open to learning. And you know, not everybody has that gift. They're really teachable on some basic issues, number one. And number two, they have a belief in the achievement. So it's humble enough to listen, and then they have this faith. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like we're talking out of a Sunday school class here, faith and humility. <laughs> but they do. They're believers, you know? And, and if we have somebody that's open and is a believer, you can do really great things. Well, we started running the program two years ago, Tim. I'm looking at my producer two years ago, and there's a bunch of reasons for this, but we've seen about 60 to 70% revenue increase year over year. And I'm amazed at the end of a year how much we got done that year. And there's one reason. It's because we're having wig sessions and we're I get lead measure reports. You're going to know what all this means here in a second, folks. I get lead measure reports every morning. I know what's going to happen before I see that revenue report, and we're able to execute it. And I think a lot of that is because of your work. I'm incredibly, incredibly thankful. And not just that. We've all read kind of airport business books that have some anecdotes, and they're slightly inspirational. But basically, you can boil it down to about eight pages of good content. You guys are not that book. This is close to 300 pages of rich, incredible, executable, actionable content. If you're not running an execution program, that is, you're not running some sort of system that allows everybody in the company to get things done, this is a pretty good one. I also like it because it's kind of simple. How would you compare what you're doing to Six Sigma, Lean Manufacturing, that stuff? Well, first of all, just consider yourself virtually hugged or headbutted <laughs> or chest bumped well, I mean or something. It. I mean it. It was really helpful damn, for and, us. and not so much the second part, but the first part. You guys are killing your numbers, and you're doing this. That's major dopamine for, oh, I'm <laughs> for glad. me right I'm glad. there. Yeah, so Six Sigma Lean Manufacturing, these are like brilliant vaccines. We're a really good syringe. Hmm. You have ideas. We're never more than half the formula. I mean, right. you have ways of going to market. You have predictive behaviors that you know work. You have a compelling value proposition. Man, right. that's your vaccine, right? We're just a good syringe. You help get it into the system, get it into the bloodstream. That's it. And that's a big deal because I tell you, you know, these are the two big variables, right? Strategy and execution. Mm -hmm. And like solving a math equation, if you can't isolate the variables, you don't go very far. And if you're scratching your head at the end saying, well, was it that we didn't have a good plan or was it that we didn't run it really? I mean, you're going nowhere. I love it. Okay, I want to get through this because I don't want to run out of interview time 
at the end because I want to actually ask some questions about the government and why it's so inefficient because I think I've got the right guy on the line. But <laughs> I will go there with you. Before that, we got to get to the stuff that's beneficial. We got 40,000 business leaders listening to this. They all need to run 40X. One of the things I love about your process is you don't necessarily present this as a problem. You present it as a reality. And the problem and the reality is called the whirlwind. And that is the ringing phone, the unexpected appointment, the stuff you've got to get done from last week, the reality that you're not a machine, you're a human being. And the whirlwind is going to occupy an enormous amount of your time. But your argument, if I understand correctly in the book, is if you can just control about 20% of your time, if you can actually intentionally dictate what's going to happen, it'll affect everything else and you'll start to get things done. Am I accurately painting a picture of the problem and something like the solution? Yeah, that's exactly how we think about it. Another way to say it is that the maintenance of the existing system, maintaining, keeping the doors open, is going to take 80% of everything you got. And if you just sort of accept that as a reality right off the right. bat, you become much more realistic around how you burn the other strategic 20%. You automatically know you've got to narrow your focus. But I'll tell you, there's, there's something worse about this whirlwind thing. And the longer we've stayed at it, the more we've seen, there's sort of a human flaw that we all sort of share, where in the moment, we will choose an urgent activity over an important activity. And I gotta let you think about that for a second, right? The urgency and importance are not the same. And we will default to urgent versus important, almost regardless of how important the important thing is. We go urgent. I know. It's actually quite amazing. I'll find myself slipping into it where I actually have to stop and I say, wait, I'm putting off something that could lead to a million dollar revenue stream in order to tackle something that is just almost meaningless in, in comparison. But they, yeah, they're the ones calling me. There's someone's expectation. Yep. You just nailed it. Another thing that you talk about in the book that we tend to do, and I know some people are going to identify with this, we tend to blame it on our people. We tend to think, well, we're not getting things done because we have the wrong people. Meanwhile, we didn't give them a system with which they can execute. We didn't lead them. We didn't give them a plan, and we just say, well, they're the wrong people. Do you see guys doing that? If it wasn't for Edwards Deming, we never would have put our finger on that. And I'm the worst violator. I'm a big blamer real quick. But Deming said, if it's the majority of the people the majority of the time, sorry, boss, that's on you. You, you do not, if it's the majority of the people the majority of the time, you don't get to blame the people. That's called common cause. One idiot is special cause. We can all deal with one idiot. Yeah, it's like the leader who says, everybody I work with is easily offended. Yeah, exactly. In other words, he's offensive, right? <laughs> okay, so those are a couple things that if you're listening and you're like, hey, it's my people, they can't get things done, or you know, I'm doing things that are urgent, I can't figure out what's important, this is a, an execution plan for you. I want to get to the solution now, and there's four disciplines, i.e. the book, four disciplines, and the first one is focus on what is wildly important. So define wildly important and tell us how we can focus on it. It's about getting narrow and it's about getting clear. Explain getting narrow. What do you mean? In other words, you know, that 80% that's the day-to-day -day maintenance, the leave it alone. Don't try and force everything into the four disciplines. This is not a shotgun. This is not a process for managing your whole operation. It is a rifle to aim at your strategic bottleneck. The way you word it, you say focus on less so you can accomplish more. Yeah, there's something in your world that if you did it, a whole bunch of other things would go in the right direction. Right. Right? What lives at the intersection of really important and, geez, if I'm honest with myself, we are not going to get this done. 
Like it requires a special treatment. We call it a wildly important goal. The wig is not this year's version of our goals. It's something that if we applied a special treatment, the four disciplines, it would really change the game around here. How do I decide what my wildly important goal is? You're saying it, but if I've got 50 things that I think I need to do, which one of them becomes my wildly important goal and why? If you graphed it, you had an x-axis that was how strategically critical is this? How critical to the strategy on the x-axis? And the y-axis is how at risk is this of failing, right? Mm -hmm. The thing in the upper right-hand corner is probably a pretty good candidate. Gotcha. And by the way, better to pick the wrong thing and keep it a small number and just go after one thing than to pick two or three good things and have too much. We teach that just in terms of messaging. Your company can only be known for one thing. If you try to be known for four things, you're crowding people's brains because the brain just can't process that information. Yeah, because those four things are also competing with the yeah. whirlwind. It's not like those four things exist yeah. in a vacuum. And it's really hard to have more than four or five priorities, right? I mean, let's just be real. So what happens is nothing gets done because we're focused on so much. Yeah, and this discipline one can be very simple for a team. For a given team with one function, it's as simple as having that critical thing identified, having a starting line, a finish line, and a deadline. That's pretty simple. If you're an organizational leader and you've got multiple functions and the goal that you need to achieve is going to require cooperative effort across a bunch of different functions, then it's an exercise of translating that strategy into the fewest number of executable targets so that none of those teams have more than one sort of critical objective they're going after, and it's got to roll up to ring in the bell. In your book, you say only 51% of people said they were passionate about their team's goal. A lot of people are going, well, 51% is a lot. But think about it. 49% of your people aren't passionate. And I think probably one of the big reasons is one thing that 40X taught us is that almost every meeting, somebody starts out the meeting by saying, here are our goals. Here are our goals. And by the 15th time people hear it, they finally go, oh, those are our goals. <laughs> it literally right. takes that much emphasis. It's an amazing thing when your team finally goes, oh, that's what we're trying to do. I think most of this stuff is a leadership problem. I don't think they're repeating their goals or their goals aren't clear enough. Yep. Okay, so the first thing, we've got to define what is wildly important, and we've got to keep talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, and trying to go to war here with the whirlwind to actually get something done. Now, here's my favorite. It's discipline number two. This one was the biggest eye-opener for me. Seems super obvious, but it was the biggest eye-opener for me as I read the book and completely changed my beginning-of-day numbers that I get in my report. You say, act on the lead measures rather than the lag measures. Now, I know most people will know the difference between lead and lag, but can you tell us real quick in case there's somebody who doesn't? Yeah, so a lead measure is a measure, something that you can measure that leads to the goal, right? right? If I measure how many calories I've eaten or how many calories I've burned, right? And I hit my targets, that's going to lead to weight loss. The, here's the key thing, a couple of key things to remember. You're looking for something that is predictive, like diet and exercise is predictive of weight loss. You're also looking for something that's directly influenceable. You can directly influence, maybe not control it, but it's something I can do something about, like a lever on a rock, right? That lever, I can move, the lever moves, right? And when it does, it moves the rock. The other thing to keep in mind, we are hardwired to fixate on the lag, not the lead. And lag is something like revenue. 
Yeah, lag is revenue or quality or customer satisfaction or profit or yeah. It's, it, and those numbers are really easy to get for some reason. Your kids' grades in school, those are easy to get. It's a really rare parent that knows what Sarah's current homework average is and how many hours Sarah spent studying last week. You're not wired for that. That's a discipline. And you talk about in the book, by the time you get the number on a lag measure, it's too late to do anything about it. By the time you get your revenue number for September, it's September's gone. Yeah, it's an oh crap measure. You, you either say oh cool or oh crap, but yeah, that thing's history. I now, instead of getting revenue numbers, which actually is not in my beginning of day report, I get the number of email addresses that we got, the number of people who went to the website, but even those are probably not lead measures enough. It would be the number of blogs that we released or the number Perfect. of- Perfect. Let's pause on okay, that. Okay, let's do it. That's a good example because those can be predictive. The real problem I would have with those is, are they directly influenceable? You mean, can I change it tomorrow if I see yeah, a number? Yeah, like if you put a gun to my head this week, can I make those things move? And if I'm not sure, that's not a good lead measure. It's a predictive measure, but it's not a lead measure. Well, I know when I get a low number, I make a call and say, hey, why is this number low? What did we do differently? And so it gives me a chance to act before it becomes revenue or doesn't become revenue. But you're saying I could go back even further and say what caused us to get those email addresses? And is there anything that I can measure daily that would actually allow me to manipulate that number before it ever... You got it. You said it perfectly. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so we, we're not even going far enough in our lead measures. See, I'm already getting free counseling. You think this is a podcast interview. This is like thousands of dollars an hour. Well, it sounds like you're doing great, so I don't know that I want to mess with you. <laughs> but it was really eye-opening for me, and for even any company, just to figure out what are your lead measures. Would you be willing to tell us, you've worked with so many companies, what sorts of things have you found that companies have measured as lead measures that have been helpful to them? And I don't even care the industry. It's grocery stores, it's, you know, whatever. So grocery store, reduction in out-of-stocks. What's an out-of-stock? Reduction. Oh, oh. And out of stock. In other words, how many holes in the shelf, yeah. right? I mean, how many products are out of stock? So you would have somebody go through and measure. Yep. And every day the manager would get an out of stock number and they would be able to predict future revenue is going to be down because we're out of stock on so much stuff. How do they act on that, though? Do they. Well, so every week they look at that and they say, so how did we do on our out of stocks last week? Well, we were great for three weeks. Last week was the first time we've been bad at it. All right, Tommy's going to make sure that the shipments are properly marked in the morning. Mary, we've stopped doing our 4 p.m. out-of-stock review. I'm going to talk to Mary about that. You know, it'll change every week. It's very dynamic. So the commitments, and those commitments are part of the fourth discipline, the commitments need to be aimed at that lead measure. Let's put an enormous amount of energy against our bet. And our bet is that if we're fully stocked, we're going to sell more. The whole company is now not focused on selling more. It's on being fully stocked because that leads to selling more. Or that department, you know, or those departments happen to be focused on that part of the formula. I love it. Okay, so first, focus on wildly important goals. Second, act on the lead measures and determine what those lead measures are. And everybody can associate in their own brain what the lead measures would be. And it might even be for sales reps that they're making this many calls per day or they're sending this many emails or... Those can be lead measures too, right? We know that yeah, that Yeah, yeah, so let me push on you a little bit. That's no, go good. Ahead. That's where people go. Those would be an example of being very influenceable, but might not be predictive. Like if I'm calling the wrong people or emailing the wrong people, I can spin like a hamster and it's not going to move the goal. 
In other words, I'm gonna have certain number of conversations or a certain number of face-to-face hours or a certain number of meetings with a certain definition. It's like creating the rules of the game. The definitions around lead measures become very important. So it's gotta do both things. I gotta be able to move it and it's gotta be able to move the outcome. Okay, I love it. I think that's super helpful. The third discipline, and this is the one where, in our opinion, this is the hardest one and the one that we're the worst at, keeping a compelling scoreboard. And I was amazed in the book at how creative teams would get in keeping scoreboards. Talk to us first, define what a scoreboard is because it makes all the sense in the world. When you've completed discipline two, you've got a good strategic bet. You got your outcomes, you got your predictive you know, lead measures, but those are just concepts. It's not until it goes live, right? Until it becomes a thing on a wall or, you know, we have 140,000 teams around the world. I still can't, I keep asking him and they keep telling me that's the number. We have 140,000 teams around the world using a web-based scoreboarding tool that we built that just shows red, yellow, green lead and lag indicators by team. But for human beings, this is very important. We're not talking about a spreadsheet. It's not about whether the boss keeps score for everybody. It's about whether everybody knows the score. Right. And human beings need that ability to see, am I winning or losing right now? We're finally going to get this part right next year. And my chief of staff has on his objective to create a series of thermometers on the whiteboard in our conference room where everybody is constantly measuring lead measures throughout the year. And I'm really excited. We've tried it before. We've kind of half done it. We haven't half done it for lack of effort. We have done it because it's actually hard to get right. It's hard to figure it out. Like you said earlier, this is something you got to work at. Hey, as you look at those thermometers, Uh make sure something on that thermometer tells you where you're supposed to be today. Mm, What you're supposed to be contributing to right now. There needs to be some little thing. You're chasing some rabbit up the scale. That little nuance right there undoes more scoreboards. Do you have lead and lag measures on that scoreboard or just lead measures? Absolutely. Lead Lead and lag. And lag. The only value a lead has is that it moves the lag. Gotcha. A lead isn't a lead because it's a lead. It's a lead because it moves the lag. And if you take away the lag, people will start gaming the system and you'll start getting bad artificial data on the lead. Right, right. The lag keeps you honest. And we can also discover we've got bad lead measures. If they're not affecting the lag, we've got to refigure our lead measures, right? You got it. I'll be back with more of my interview with Chris McChesney in just a moment. It's everybody's favorite segment of the Building a Story Brand podcast, Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan. Kula in her Wonder Woman pose. What is today's marketing myth? Today's myth is this. You should list all of the problems that you solve for your customers. That's not a myth. That's true. No, it's, it's not. called Yeah, you list every problem you have because it increases the perceived value. If a company can resolve 27 problems for their customer, that's unbelievable valuable. Way more value than just solving one problem. Not true. Not true. I'm laying down the hammer. Not true. true. Think about this. Go back to this idea that clarity is what wins in the marketplace and noise is the enemy, right? So if you talk about 27 things that your business solves for your customers, you are immediately creating confusion in their mind and they're going to check out because they actually don't resonate with any of those things because they're thinking too much about how or whether or not those problems actually relate to Hmm. them. 
so, I hate to admit this, <laughs> but if you did go to a movie and Jason Bourne wanted to know who he really was and also lose 30 pounds and also marry the girl and also adopt a cat, you'd lose the audience. You absolutely would. Too they walk out. many problems. Too many problems. So what you're saying is it's great that the company can solve so many problems, which is my point. <laughs> but the brains of their customers can't process that much information. You have to be known for solving a, a problem. singular problem. Yep. Wow. That's right. So even if your brand does solve 27 things for your customers, you have to be known for just one. And when mm -hmm. you're known for solving that pain point, your customers are going to engage more with what you have to offer. And then they'll learn about the other problems that you can also solve. But just focus on one. Be known for solving one problem to get your customers in the door and then open up that conversation to show them what else you can help them solve. Now that you say it, I'm thinking of an example. We love Dave Ramsey over at Ramsey Solutions. Mm -hmm. And Dave Ramsey has a lot of products. There's a lot of books. There's different divisions of the company. He can help you retire. He can help you get a mortgage. He can help you with a savings account. He's got software applications. You can buy books from him. You can go to conferences. You can do all sorts of things through Ramsey. He has a small business division called Entree Leadership. Wonderful stuff. But he really only solves one problem, at least in his marketing, financial peace. So right. if you have financial unrest, that's the problem he solves. And then he breaks everything down into different revenue streams that all solve the exact same problem. And I think that's, right. that's what we're talking about. That is absolutely what we're Find talking about. Find the big umbrella problem that you solve and let all your other revenue streams live underneath it. And people will understand why they need you much more quickly. Yeah, and then whenever your customers experience that problem and they think of your brand as a resolution to it, they're going to tell their friends, like, oh, you have that problem too? Go to these guys because they solve it for me. Right. Well, I talk about how to be more clear in your marketing message in my new book, Building a Story Brand, but also in our live workshop where you can actually get away for two days and create your own story brand script for your company and clarify your message so customers listen. And we cover this in one hour of that two-day workshop. You'll leave understanding exactly what kind of problem you need to solve. You can find out more at storybrand.com. Kula, thank you so much for your time today. Glad to be here. Great myth. Thanks. Okay, fourth, and we're good at this, create a cadence of accountability. And by the way, that's the reason you're getting results because four is the one that brings the results home. And we do it twice a week. They're called wig sessions. You call them wig sessions. We do it yep. twice a week and they're incredibly effective for us. But explain to us what the cadence of accountability looks like, how it works. It's everybody, one at a time, reporting on and making commitments this week, something that's got to be done this week that's going to move that leading indicator. Of all, you know, what can I do this week that's going to move out of stocks? Or we've got a lead measure for how many kids' feet we measure in a shoe store or how many proposals are sent. Life is dynamic, but so, uh, you know, this week, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to get 14 new candidate opportunities to call, or I'm going to go over the script with Martha because it's sounding really hokey the way we say it, or, but it's something, and here's the key, it's never urgent. The whirlwind's urgent. The thing you put as your commitment is never urgent, and that's why it's not getting done. If your strategy's stalled, it's because something more urgent, not more important, more urgent is taking its place. And the fact that you guys are running discipline for, even if your metrics are not perfect, you will drive energy and results if you can do that one. It's definitely been unbelievably effective. It's easy for us to go into wig sessions that are basically reports on what we're working on with zero connection to 
lead measures, lag measures. You know, they're just roughly connected. It's easy for us to slide back into this. Well, this week I'm working on X, and this week I'm trying to write this content. This week I'm working on this manual for this thing that's coming up this week. And there's never a repeat of, well, here's our lead measures. Here's what your lead measure is, and we need to get that up this week. Can you just run through, just give me one example of one employee's report at any kind of meeting, any kind of WIG session, what should their report look like? What should they be saying? We got a parts department that has a WIG of reducing the time it takes to repair trucks. So we're a truck covenant transportation trucking company. That's their WIG. Their WIG is essentially a lag measure, right? Yeah, all WIGs are lag measures. Their WIG is to reduce repair wait time on the trucks because they're trying to keep their truckers. Their big WIG is to reduce the number of truckers that quit. The subwig is get them their trucks faster. They hate it when their trucks are in repair. Right. And so they had two lead measures. One lead measure was for the parts department to make sure that the mechanics never had to wait more than 15 minutes for a part and never had to ask more than twice per order for a part. Gotcha. And so that employee or that team member is going to say what in that wig session? They're going to say... Yeah. So last week I committed to organize the salvage inventory because we're getting a lot of parts out of salvage and it usually takes us a half an hour to find a part and salvage. Tommy and I did that on Tuesday. We think it's made a big difference. That was my commitment for last week. This week we're going to try something new. Marty had the idea. We're going to get the mechanics a little remote they wear on their belt. So if they need a part, they can just press the button and keep working. We'll go out to the deck and we'll take their order so they don't have to stop working. That's real, by the way. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, cool? it sounds real, yeah. And that affects ultimately the lead measures of those 15 minutes. Taking more than 15 minutes to get a part. Which affects the lag measures. The lead's going to move the lag. These guys had the lowest truck driver turnover in the history of Covenant Transportation and had the best financials in 12 years. That's awesome. Because 17 little teams were attacking a little bit of the problem. Please tell me they called their wig sessions the big wig on the big rig. <laughs> Please tell me. I wish I could say they're they missing an opportunity. That would be awesome. Hey, but you know what they did? <laughs> what did they do? The leadership team, the senior team, held their wig session in the main lobby of the building on a scoreboard for everybody to see in Ooh. front of all the employees. They did a standing meeting in the lobby every week. We got this on video. If I heard you correctly, are there different scoreboards for different divisions of the company? Oh, yeah. Okay, Each so the C-suite. The closer you can get the scoreboard to the action, Yeah. you want a bunch of teams with one wig each. That's when it really hums. Our scoreboard at the office should say, you know, online courses, live events, book sales, private workshop. Each division, maybe even each revenue stream, should have its own scoreboard of lead and lag measures. And I'm learning so much here, Chris. Even though I've read the book and we've run this for a year, you can just get dive deeper and deeper into this thing and improve your numbers as a company. If each scoreboard should have, by division, maybe even by revenue stream, lead and lag measures, but also comparative to where we should be on both lead and lag today. That's it, man. And then you're, you'll find your meetings, it gets easier to run the meeting because the correlation between the stuff they committed to and the scoreboard becomes much tighter. Tight correlation between the stuff I do and the results I get in a nutshell, one word, man, winnable game. Yeah. Each team should feel like they're a winnable game. If I feel like I'm trying to raise the ocean, I'll check out real fast. I got to feel like I can have an impact on this thing. I love it. Okay. 
that covers the four. I'm going to repeat them, and I'll repeat them again before we get off the air. Focus on what is wildly important, the wildly important goal that's discipline one. Discipline two is act on lead rather than lag measures. If you read any chapter in the book, read that one because it's going to blow your mind. Then keep a compelling scoreboard, which I now have more hope than ever we're going to have one for 2018. And then create a cadence of accountability where we stand around the scoreboard, we talk through it, and we talk about how our behavior is going to affect those numbers it seems so simple but it's actually it's a lot and i would even say the percentage that you commit to the system is equivalent to or directly correlated with the percentage of growth you actually see as a company i mean that's what we experience you don't have to execute the whole thing though you would kill me for saying that you actually see results if you just slowly grow into it and become better at it am i fair to say that yeah it's like anything else i mean what you put into it is what you get out this just really this whole thing is an exercise in creating human focus. If I had to demystify the whole thing, I mean, we call discipline one focus, but each discipline is just a different take on, you know, tightening focus, tightening focus, tightening focus. Everybody knows focus works. There are books, there are plans. Man, I've read so many of them. I get 30 pages in and I just go, you know what? This works great if your brain is a calculator, but my brain's not a calculator. My brain gets distracted. My brain is visionary brain. I have lots of uh, great ideas. And if I were just somebody who sat and thought in binary lines of code, I could actually execute your plan. What I love about your book is it's a workable solution for complex situations that acknowledge the way human brains actually work. Yeah. we The two best friends of execution mm-hmm. are simplicity and transparency. Love it. Execution hates complexity. I love it. So does marketing, by the way. That's oh, yeah, right? You know that. Yeah. that. In that universe, you experience it directly. We say if you confuse, you'll lose. Yeah, and you know, complexity is easy. Anybody can do complex. Simple took us 15 years to get this thing simple. Great. Okay, I, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Most of us who are listening to this are probably in kind of that whitewater stage uh, where businesses are growing. A lot of people have taken their business through story brands, so their business is growing quickly, and they're finding that... They hired two or three more people and things are getting complicated. And for the first time, they're having to, you know, hand over to other people some stuff that they used to be able to micromanage, which is a good thing. That's just a sign of growth. They're having to build up. And so that's why this podcast, I think, is going to be so important because they're feeling the pain. And this is the anecdote of that. But let me go to a a much higher, higher level because I'm just deeply curious you know, we've got a White House, and, th- and I don't want to get political. I'm actually thinking of this more as a strategy and how you fix something. We've got a system of government where the chief of staff comes in and all the cabinet members come in, and they're having to organize an unbelievably complicated system. And I just read The Gatekeepers. It's a book about the history of the chief of staff from Nixon all the way through Obama with a little bit of a nod toward Trump. It's a fascinating book. But they talked about the legacy of a president hinges on how those relationships are organized. In other words, if information that doesn't need to get to the president does get to the president and he's basing his information based on too much data coming in, you see the executive office begin to implode in on itself. And you just have to keep things very simple and organized. If you go into a situation as complex as that, how would you run 40X inside of the Oval Office? I'm just deeply curious if you ever thought about this. One of the things that this requires, I believe, is a firm grasp of natural law. I understand natural law from the constitutional 
perspective, you know, biblical versus constitutional versus natural law. What do you mean understanding natural law? In other words, what can a person do and what can't they do? Yeah, what's realistic? You remember, I don't know if you ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Jack Sparrow says to the kid, he says, look, all that matters is what a man can do and what a man can't do. And I, and I can't bring this ship in by myself, I think was the punchline, right? <laughs> yeah. But when Ronald Reagan was in office, and I heard this from Clayton Christensen, who was associated with that administration. Mm-hmm. Clayton's the famous Harvard business professor, he's on our board of directors, and he's been a big fan. He wrote the intro to the 4DX book. He said that Reagan was maniacal about keeping it to three things. Oh, I love that. Now, there's a level of humility. Now, you maybe you got to respond to a thousand. Maybe you got to say something about everything. Maybe, you know, there's a level of involvement you have to have against a hundred things, but you got to keep that backed off to that 80%. And then you got to give your best energy to just a couple of things. And that requires humility. That requires sort of recognizing that you're not in control. Natural law is in control. You better have a handle on your ego. Yeah. And, and these folks understand I'm not going to be able to get seven things done, but I can get three things done. So if you give me six, we're going to end up with zero. But if you give me three, we can get three. And nobody sucks at this worse than I do. I'm tired. I mean, my name might be on the book. I need somebody to walk around and club me in the head every time I say I'm going to do one more thing. I got a (laughs) wicked case of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And you think I can get that done real quick? That won't take me any time. And now you're off. Yeah, we could squeeze one more. No. Right. I love it. Chris, this has been unbelievable. To the point about Reagan, it was Carter who tried to act as his own chief of staff, Uh and it never worked for him. It wasn't three things. It was 53 things. And Bill Clinton, in his first year, an entire year as president, the Oval Office was filled with people bringing him information, way more than three things. And it wasn't until his chief of staff changed and they sat down and they said, this is going to start getting organized because of what you're calling natural law. You're not going to be able to manage this much. And it's interesting to see John Kelly come in in the Trump administration, and you've seen a difference yep. in terms of what's getting executed. It's not a night and day difference because you're still dealing with a man who just wants to take all the information and is easily distracted like a squirrel chasing a nut. But you can see the difference when you begin to organize the system based on how the brain works and what can actually get done. I think there's a lot to learn there. Stephen Covey used to say that humility was the mother of all virtues. And explain what he meant by humility, like understanding your limits. In other words, sort of recognizing that you're not in control, that natural law is in control. Yeah. And you're willing to submit your will to the realities of natural law. You want to fly an airplane? Look, you better get really well acquainted with lift, thrust, weight, and drag and recognize that that's in control, not you. And, you know, what are the laws of human effectiveness? What are the laws of organizational effectiveness? What are the freaking laws, right? I mean, I might ignore them. They will not ignore me. And humility is recognizing, look, I got to play by these rules or I'm going to suffer the consequence. I love it. I always say you're the surfer, not the wave. Yeah. Don't try to be the wave. All right. Four disciplines of execution. I think it was the best business book I read two years ago. Read it again last year. Might be the best business book I read last year, too. If you've not picked it up, grab it. It's at every airport you can get on Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Chris, this was a wonderful and helpful conversation. I think you've decreased a lot of stress in a lot of leaders' lives 
with this as long as we execute it. I love how far you got into this. I wish every interviewer had your depth in this. You're the man. I love the system. Thanks so much. Hopefully we get to meet in person soon. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, everyone. So, as the new chief of staff, JJ, yeah, are you ready? Everybody, I, by the way, a formal <laughs> congratulations. This uh, is the first time we've talked about it on the air. You are moving from director of facilitation to chief of staff. Yes. What I love about you is every time you get a huge promotion, uh-huh. you're scared. I'm like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And you're like, am I in trouble? I'm like, no, you quadrupled your division, JJ. <laughs> so you're not in trouble. We're moving you to head up the company <laughs> in some ways. You're sharing leadership with Tim now. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, no, I'm going to use that against you someday. Uh, yeah. JJ! <laughs> Get in here! Yeah. Then I, I would be like... I won't hurt you. I'd probably start laughing <laughs> at that point. <laughs> anyway, so well, we're going to... we're going to... We've implemented this, and I feel like it does take two years yeah. of implementing it, and then you begin perfecting it. Yeah. And plus, you always have to keep shifting it and changing it, because yeah. new people come on staff and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't be more excited about 2018, and one of the main reasons is we're going to do this... And it's going to be better. And I bet in 2019, we're going to have to redo it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Find it again. We'll have new people and new problems and new ways of doing things. So new structures. Absolutely. Next week, we have another best-selling author, another number one best-selling author. This guy's book has been on the New York Times bestsellers list for 72 weeks. Seriously? Yeah, Charles Duhigg. He wrote the book, The Power of Habit, and his newer book, it's not new, but it's newer, and I actually like it even more. The book is called Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business, and he was fascinating. Yeah. I think up there with the smartest people we've ever interviewed. You know, sometimes you wonder if these guys who've had to answer the same questions for five, seven years (laughs) can possibly have any enthusiasm or interest in their topic anymore, and he did not disappoint. You know... 25-minute conversation, and I repeated basically the whole thing at dinner that night at a dinner party that we Uh had. He was just fascinating. And he talks about how to be more productive, how to get more done in a world where you're bombarded with information. And he shares things like have two different to-do lists, one with your sort of junk drawer things you have to do, but then make a to-do list of three things that are actually important. Separate those tasks in your mind. Very basic stuff. It's based on how the brain works. One of the most fascinating conversations I've had yet. If you geek out on brain science... yeah and business, how to get better at business, you're going to absolutely love this one. I'm going to tease you with a little bit of my conversation with Charles Duhigg. Here you go. What we know is that almost everything gets easier when you feel like you're in control, right? Motivation is easier to stimulate when you feel like you're making choices and you're in control. Focus is easier to maintain when you feel like you're in control. And the more that you remind yourself that you're in control, the more that you create a self-image that just even on near subconscious levels says, oh, you have an internal locus of control. This is something like you're making choices. The more that becomes a habit, And the more it becomes a habit, the easier it is. So that's next week. Yes. I'm dying to talk about this with the audience. (laughs) Yes. He's fun. Yeah. Yeah, he's fun. Okay, we've gone long enough. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. Also, pick up my new book, Building a Story Brand. It completely explains the Story Brand seven-part framework. If you want to clarify your message, that's the book to get. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.